Kia ora, and welcome to Ven Presents, a series of conversations exploring the depth and richness of the Christian tradition between the host Sam Bloor and members of the Ven team and wider Ven community. Each short series will expand on some of the themes that have emerged from Ven's work, including our programs, events, books, and monthly digital publication Common Ground. The topics will be wide-ranging, from exploring Christian faith and doctrine to engagement with wider culture, including family, business, the arts, education, music, and sport. The wonderful piece of music you're hearing in the background is Max Richter's recomposition of Vivaldi's masterpiece, Spring. We are hoping Ven Presents will, in some small way, help us all to reimagine how the gospel of Jesus Christ might sound in the communities and callings we find ourselves in today. Now, let's go ahead and listen to the latest episode. Two feet in a red dirt, school skirt, sugar cane, back lane. Free job took years to save, but I got a ticket on that plane. People got a lot to say, but don't know a thing about where I was made or how many floors that I had to scrub just to make it past where I am from. No, 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 no money, no family. Hello and welcome back to episode two of this three-part podcast series we are doing called The Good of Work. My name's Sam Bloor and this episode I'm joined by my good friend and colleague Olivia Byrne. Hello Liv. Hello Sam. Nice to have you in the studio. Thank you. It's great and to be here. good friend and colleague, the CEO of the Venn Foundation, Nathan McClellan. It's good to be with you both. <laughs> now in this uh, first episode I was having a three-way chat just like this with Andrew Shamey and Julia Bloor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were talking literally the good of work. We started in Genesis 1 and 2, and we, we framed up really what what is this glorious mandate that's been uh, given to us. Mm. Uh, if, if only our Bibles could have stopped at Genesis 2. but if alas, only. <laughs> the very next chapter, um, things take a nosedive, and we'll, we'll get to that in a bit. But essentially, that's what we're going to be focusing in on uh, in this episode is um, yeah work work with all of its frustrations and its futilities and its alienations mm. Liv I know you've recently done an article for Common Ground yes. tell us a little bit about that mm, thanks Sam um, yeah so the article the second part of this Good of Work series, um, we really wanted to focus in on the fall and how that's marred and shaped so much of our experience with work. Um, I was brought in to write this article, uh, drawing on some of my experiences as a competitive runner, which has been my journey since probably the age of 12, Um, and just looking at some of the ways that that experience in the competition, competitive world of running and sport has really informed um, some of my experiences of work, but also my experiences of sin and brokenness and the fall and how that leads to disillusionment and um, misformed identity and um, idolatry and all these different things that we kind of touch on in this article. Okay, yeah. So uh, in this piece, um, I wanted to really hone in on kind of what is the reality of our work? What is our actual experience Mm. in the world? And um, I was directed to this um, story, the Tower of Babel, which is found in Genesis 11. And it's kind of this first example of corporate work that we have in scripture. Um, This group of people gathering together, um, creating a city um, and building a tower to reach the heavens. And what that kind of reveals about um, our approaches to work, uh, 
how God's good intention for work has been marred and misshapen, um, and also how God's original mandate for us to go out and fill the earth and create culture and create um, cities and, and beautiful things and to make good of the world that he's given us, how that can so easily be stunted and um, halted by uh, the fall and our brokenness. Wow. Now we're going to get to some of the detail of that and mm. actually we're going to use that article as a bit of a structure to, to work through, a bit like we did with Andrew's article in episode one. If you're listening and you haven't read that article, don't panic. You, you won't need to have pre-read it to um, make sense of everything we're going to be talking about. We're, we're simply using that as a bit of a structure and we will tangent off and talk about lots of other stuff. We're hoping to import lots of other uh, personal stories and, and other aspects that, that weren't a part of that article. But Liv, if people want to find it afterwards, they mm. can go to... <laughs> <laughs> With my comes and marketing manager hat on, uh, you go to <laughs> venn.org.nz forward slash resources. Um, our publication is called Common Ground and under Common Ground you can find articles and audio and artwork and all sorts of goodies. Um, but the article is called The Fall, Toil and the Tower of Babel, which you'll find under resources. Yeah. Um, and actually, it's good that you mentioned that because I'm going to reference another couple of resources as we go along. One mm. was actually a staff piece that I did uh, called Leaf by Nickel, mm. um, focusing in on a short story that J.R.R. Tolkien wrote, um, talking about, um, yeah, just the, the fact that our work can have lasting effect. Mm. Um, and we might reference that as we go. Um, and Nathan, just flipping to you for, for a moment, um, mm. both for you know, a little bit of background to your vocational experience, because I know this is something you're passionate about, but also you did a piece as well. You actually wrote up a practice mm. uh, called Finding God in Our Work, and we, mm. we might close on one of the reflections that, that you did for that. Great, great. Yeah, I'm not sure why I'm here. I've never experienced the fall either as a public servant or a church leader or the CEO. Of the, um, <laughs> or, or a parent. Or a parent, or a yeah. parent. Oh, this is such an important topic. I think we know something of the goodness of work, but we also do have to wrestle with the fact that we experience futility, we experience brokenness, we experience pain, difficulty when it comes to work. And this is actually going to help us to live well in the world as we seek to follow Jesus. So this is such an important topic. Yeah, and in fact, you you were sort of saying, you know, um, as we were having a bit of a chat before um, hitting the record button, we can only know some of the frustrations because we've we've known the good. That's right. I mean, even the language of the fall, it assumes we've fallen from something. And I think if we look at uh, the account in Genesis 1 and 2, work is fundamentally a good thing. First, God in creating the world... Um, as a worker and creates a good world and then us made in his image as workers we experience work as a good thing but then as we're going to look in this in this discussion the reality of sin entering and actually distorts the goodness of the world Um, in some ways sin is parasitic on the good it distorts Mm -hmm. it it disorders it but we only know that futility and frustration and toil that comes from work, firstly, because I think we know it's good. We yeah. know that we've fallen from something, mm. from a good world that God's made in which we experience work as a good thing, foundationally. Awesome. We'll get to a description of that in a moment. Uh, but first, I want to ask you guys just a bit of 
your own work backgrounds. Um, I actually asked a question of Andrew and Julia in the, that first episode uh, of their worst, the worst job they'd ever had. But let's start slightly more positively than that. <laughs> Liv, you've hinted already um, one of the roles you've done over the years has been professional athlete. Um, what's been some of the other work that you've done? And maybe, yeah, finish on sort of worst job ever, unless it's your current job, in which case... <laughs> in which case <laughs> working. my CEO and I will have a chat afterwards. Yeah, yeah, in the break. <laughs> um, yeah, I should clarify that uh, probably the closest I've got is semi-professional athlete, just getting paid for race wins and things like that. So I was okay. never on a yeah. contract with a, with a brand. Um, but yes, running has certainly been one of the key shapers and um, formers of my work. So competed throughout high school and then went over to the United States on scholarship. Um, and then since university, I've also competed in a national and bit of international level. Um I've also worked in sport, so worked did an internship with the New Zealand Olympic Committee and then with the Blues rugby team in a marketing right. role, which yeah, was okay. a real challenge, Wow! <laughs> which many people would be able to understand why. Kia ora koutou katoa and a very good afternoon from Eden Park in Auckland as round three of Sky Super Rugby Aotearoa continues. The Blues playing host to the Highlanders in their first home game of the season. Great to see a crowd in here for this one. And then following on from that, have come to work for Venn, which has been a restorative experience. Oh, oh that's good. very good. <laughs> Isn't it I'm nice? pleased to hear that yeah, as a yeah. CEO. <laughs> pleased to hear that's the direction the arc went. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, my my first paid job was delivering a daily paper as an eight-year-old. Um, oh, okay. So that's when that's... my quote-unquote paid work career started. Um, but I think uh, a number of, of our listeners will know I trained in economics and finance and my first job out of university was working as a public servant for the New Zealand Treasury. I was there for about six and a half years, mm. had a variety of roles there, starting off in economic forecasting, um, working within Treasury's internal think tank, policy coordination and development, and then towards the end of my time there doing some work in um, financial modelling. Um, and then uh, after that worked a little bit as an economic consultant so for myself before going overseas to study at Regent College and then worked for Regent for a while and then transitioned into uh, to doctoral work and then um, have come back to be the CEO of, of Venn mm. and uh, I think the other thing that's worth acknowledging is I've always had particular roles within the church, which I would see as part of my my vocation and my work, yes. including now being quite involved uh, at St Paul's yeah. um, in a role there. Mm. I mean, the, the, the PhD, just to go back to that, you sort of say, you know, took the time out for doctoral studies. That does give you insight to a whole other area of work, though, doesn't it? The, the work of scholarship often gets, mm. I think, a little bit glossed over. Mm. But you've really seen that up close and seen both the, the challenges of that, but also the, the need for it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the academy is a, a place of work. Yeah, um, Doing a PhD is a type of work, um, actually very hard work at, at times. Mm. And yes, in that context, I've seen what it means to be an academic. I've seen the challenges and opportunities for people working in that world. And um, that does inform what I'm bringing to the, the table now in terms of our conversation when it comes to, to work. You know, I've, like many of us, I guess, have had manual jobs and have had intellectual jobs. And 
they're challenging and difficult in in different ways. Yes. Mm. Um, and I think we'll probably reflect a little bit on that as we we go. I think sometimes intellectual work can be seen as um, not being as difficult or taxing, but at times that has not been my experience. Yes. Intellectual work can be very taxing, yes. um, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Yeah, and having just recovered from being a bit sick, um, it can run you down mm. as well in ways mm. where your, your your actual physical body gets quite can get quite run down from it. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, um, I'm not sure if you guys are avoiding that part of the question, but I do want to hit worst job ever. You know, I've I fessed up picking kiwi fruit was probably my worst. I've picked a lot of fruit and vegetables, mm-hmm. but the height of the vines was such that my back got absolutely <laughs> tortured for a fortnight. Um, and telemarketing was my other one that was uh, up there. Mm, um, so mm. can you think of anything? Uh, I don't know, Nathan. You're going back to that paper run of old or. Liv, what are you, any, any part-time jobs that you're, you're glad not to be doing now? Oh, absolutely. Um, there was one job in particular that I always think of, um, and that was, I grew up in Palmerston North, and there was the plaza, which was the big mall in the centre of town. Yeah. And um, in the middle of that food court was a subway, so it was literally an island, and all the walls came up to about your chin, so <laughs> you were ne- always exposed to the public gaze. And working in a subway starting at 7am, working to 4.30, 5 o'clock, also trying to fit in training, which was a physical fatigue that came alongside it, but I just remember just being so miserable every right. single day, like slicing the onions, slicing the tomatoes, chopping the lettuce and the cucumbers. Um, and at one point I was serving a customer as a sandwich artist and uh, a f- <laughs> the ovens were about your knee height and she yanked open the door. One of my um, colleagues pulled out a tray of uh, hot bread and the tray pierced the back of my knee Ooh. and burnt it <laughs> <laughs> and and I was like the show must go on so I continued making my sandwich for the customer <laughs> and he delivered it without even missing a beat oh yeah. wow a real commitment to the course can you eat Subway now the iconic Subway footlong sub Subway eat fresh it actually took a long time I think it probably yeah. took about eight years before I could Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wasn't yeah. a fun time. A connection that I didn't realise that we we had <laughs> until you told that story. I used to clean that food court oh, uh, in Palmerston North. So the job I was going to mention, I was going to talk a little bit about delivering papers when it was hailing, but I'll go to, <laughs> yeah. to the I'll job of cleaning the food court. So my first and part of my second year... At university, I used to clean that food court at night. So I would have to put all of the chairs up on the tables, uh, which is a really great workout. And then I would have to sweep and clean round those tables. How many floors did I have to scrub just to make it past where I am from? And then all the chairs would have to come down and then I'd have to wipe those tables. And one of the things I think I found challenging about that work was I was doing that in the context of also studying. So I would be studying all day and then probably three, three and a half hours at night wow. um, cleaning. So I, yeah. I think I was working sort of 18 to 20 hours a week um, as, as someone cleaning the food court where Olivia worked. And I can remember some of the challenges with the split focus, oh, yeah. being a student, but also um, 
cleaning and, and just managing your energy levels around that was a real challenge. I love New Zealand, eh? Where else would you just literally work out that you'd made subways in the very same place that your now Nathan had colleague had been. I mean, Palmerston North, North, let's face it, has produced some great people. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I will be the staunchest defender. One of the things I do like to note after we talk about these jobs is that there are people still doing those. Mm. And I think as we come to not just the fallenness of work, because they're, they're not doing those jobs because they're fallen, no. um, they're, they're doing those jobs because they're, you know, potentially uh, jobs that they're reasonably well suited to, they, they do like it, or they don't have choice. Um, some of the things that we're going to talk about, some of the tensions, mm-hmm. some of the potential you were mentioning of oppressions or, and things that can enter into work. Um, I always find that an interesting exercise when I do this every year with the fellows talking about you know worst jobs ever. And we, we, you, know, you can imagine how colourful it gets when you're talking 10 or 12 people. Yes. And some of the jobs, it's truly sound horrendous. And then you, you literally close with that line, someone's still doing that job. And the room goes deathly quiet, actually. Mm. It's yeah. like, oh, yeah. And sometimes there are people that actually are suited to those. I remember doing those fruit picking jobs and other people were loving it. And it mm. was seasonal and it meant that they could just clock in, clock out, and but just it wasn't me. Yeah. So I think that... Um, Keeping those sorts of things in mind. Sometimes there, there are people trapped in jobs. Mm. Other times it's just, hey, it's a, it's a suiting of personality and capacity and all of those uh, sorts of things. All right, we're going to dive on in um, to the uh, to the shape of the article, um, Liv. And, and, and where you start, um, you basically start by saying, Andrew's painted this beautiful picture mm. in, the, in the first part of this, and we, we touched on this in the first episode of the podcast series, but things do take a turn for the worse. Um, there's a... There's a definition of shalom that I'd love to read out from John Stackhouse's book called Making the Best of It. He describes shalom like this, so this this sense of um, uh, wellness, this biblical concept. A condition in which each individual thing is fully and healthily itself, and in which it enjoys peaceful, wholesome, and delightful relations with God, with itself, and with all of the rest of creation. That's just an amazing. Mm. <laughs> that's yes. just an amazing description of how things were meant to be, mm. um, and yet Stackhouse's book, making the best of it, the title should be a hint. He spends the rest of the book basically putting forward a defence for us living without ever reaching that level. Mm. Nathan, do you want to sort of just explain a bit about that maybe just um i know you know john stackhouse well you're Mm. very familiar with his work Mm. with with that book in Mm. particular but just us having to work with things down a level from Mm. from that Mm. um if you like you you were saying before there's no fall unless there's something that that we've come from i mean i think this is one of the reasons john's book is so helpful for christians because it recognizes the goodness of the world. It recognizes that God has given us a good world and we in which we get to enjoy good things, but that this world, because of the fall, has somehow been distorted. Um, and because of that, we experience various um, downsides to the fall. And I think one of the things John's trying to do in that book is to face Christians up to the reality that we do need to have a a pretty thick account of sin. Mm -hmm. We do need to have a pretty thick account of the fact that sin touches every facet of of human life. And of course, because we spend 
a lot of our waking hours working, it is going to be the case that work is going to be a context in which we experience some of the effects of the fall. Futility, frustration, meaninglessness at times. Um, work is going to feel like toil. And I think that's why this is a helpful book. And I would say this is a helpful conversation for us to have as Christians, as an organization that's trying to help Christians live faithfully for Jesus in the world. We need to acknowledge the goodness of the world, but within that we need to have a pretty thick account of the fall in order that we might live realistically and faithfully for Jesus. Um, and that's why this is, I think, a really, really important conversation. And why this conversation will not end with this one too, because we know there's an additional there's an additional chapter which I know we'll get to at the end where actually God renews all things. But we're not there yet, right? That's we're right. still in a world in which sin um, and the effects of sin, including in our work, has an influence, yeah. even given what Jesus has accomplished for us in cross, resurrection and ascension. And Liv, you were sort of hinting forward to that as your article drew to a close, mm, weren't mm-hmm. you, to that sort of... And running a podcast series like this when you're doing three parts, is, it's, it's always a little bit tricky, right? Because you're, you're trying not to cannibalise everything that you want to say <laughs> coming up later on. But your, your talk of this was always with a, a sort of a scarlet thread running through it. There was always this sort of pointing forward. Yes, um, yes. And even in writing this article, it was actually quite difficult to not draw in Christ <laughs> and not to t- draw on these elements of redemption. Um, it's, it was hard to just pull that back and be like, no, this is actually just, work can just be hard and it can be really toilsome. Um, but yes, at the end, uh, in, in chapter three, there's, as we know, there is grace and um, God's goodness runs rampant throughout scripture and we can see it at every point. And in Genesis three, when it's describing the fall, there is this one line that, was so helpful and it's talking about um, the seed of Eve being able to crush the serpent's head in mm-hmm. the sense mm-hmm. that even in this in the throes of um, the ground being cursed and mm-hmm. Adam and Eve being exiled from the garden and the world descending really into the fall um, there is still this like hope that God will provide something for us uh, that will redeem us and will redeem our work and um, redeem the whole world. Maybe by way of sending us into where you went with this, why don't you read out for us just that couple of verses out of Genesis 3 mm. mm-hmm. where, <laughs> where, we, where we get this being spelled out that that work's going to be tough. Mm. Yeah, so I'll just draw in in Genesis 3.17. God said to Adam, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Yeah, it's sobering. It is sobering. <laughs> thanks, Adam. Um, well, thanks all of us, yes. really. Yeah. What we'll spend the rest of our time unpacking is the implications of all of that and what some of the detail is. But I can remember one commentator saying, you know, what do you think thorns and thistles look like today? Well, in my life, they look like emails. You know, mm. they look like wading through <laughs> stuff. Now, 
not every email is official, right? So it's, mm. it's a part of the good work, but sometimes just the stuff that where no matter how much you do, they always seem to spring back up again. There's there's mm. elements of that mm. to mm. our everyday work and work and toil. You have to keep weeding the garden. You do. Mm. Yeah, weeding the inbox. Mm. <laughs> One of the things as Liv was reading that passage that I was just struck with is as God's pronouncing his judgment here on on what Adam and Eve have done as representatives of humanity, you just so beautifully drew out, even there there's the seed of hope. Mm. Yeah. And I think it is worth acknowledging as we're coming to this this conversation where we're going to be talking about some of the the challenges that we face um, in our work context is there is always hope. God is always looking to bring uh, good mm. uh, out of our out of our lives, even even when we're experiencing frustration and difficulties. So we have to continue to weed the garden. But as we weed the garden, there's going to be some good things mm. in yeah. the garden as well. Mm. There will be fruit, and there will be provision for us. Mm. Mm. So, love you. Where you moved to was actually to Babel, and and I love yes. that. You know, the, those first eleven chapters of of Genesis are quite unique. You know, and in mm-hmm. some ways, what we see in Babel is a is a sort of a flowering of what has come before, um, and we're just before, of course, the the call of Abraham, which is going to happen in the, the very mm. next chapter. But here we have um, sort of the story of Babel. It'll be a well known story to people listening, so we won't maybe go over the uh, all all of the detail of it. But you, just repeat for us again, you drew out three things that we're going to focus on here and then maybe add to a little bit at the end. Mm. Um, themes around sort of brokenness, fallenness, sin mm-hmm. uh, that, that are illustrated through this story. Mm. Yeah, so in this story, while we don't see all the elements of the fall and how that shaped our work, you do see some three quite key ones. Mm. Um, so the first one that I wanted to draw out was this um idea of the people were given this mandate by God and we see it in Genesis 128 we also see it in the covenant with Noah to go out and be fruitful and to multiply and there's actually this language of scattering that's used as as a good that God wants for the world he wants us to go out and fill Um, and right at the very start of Genesis 11 we we hear the people say um, they've been moving eastward, which is in itself quite interesting language. You see when people move eastward throughout Genesis 1 through 11, and actually the whole book of Genesis, when people move eastward, there's kind of this sense that they're, um, you can kind of get clued up that they're trying to move outside of God's will or trying to take control of something. Um, so they move eastward, they find this plain or this desert space in China, and they settle there. And instead of continu- continuing to disperse and fill the earth, they stop. And they say, let us build a city, let us build a tower that reaches the heavens. And they actually use this very specific naming that that we may make a name for ourselves, um, motivated by fear that they'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And so this idea of us making a name for ourselves is actually this kind of... um, this distortion of God's original intent for creation and for humanity. God used this language of let us make when he was creating the earth, when he was creating man. Um, and then man themselves have then gone and said, let us make a city to entrench ourselves, to protect ourselves, to mm. stop ourselves from um, being uh, killed or harmed by outside threats. Um, and this kind of idea that if they build a city and they reach the heavens, then somehow God will then 
um, they'll be on par with God, you right. know? Yes. And that's that's a real tendency that we see in our own lives, I think, in our own work, um, that somehow this work is going to save us or somehow this work will be enough to establish um, either a, a good reputation for ourselves in the world or to establish our own security in the world or this work will be enough to um, have a lasting legacy throughout the generations. Um, Give us a sense of identity. Absolutely, yeah. And yeah. and a lot of things flow out of that impulse to yes. kind of use your work as this, as this type of... Um, name building for ourselves like a city that nurtured my greed and my pride I stretched my arms into the sky I cried Babel, Babel look at me now the walls of my town they come crumbling down and so that was um, the first point that I wanted to how, how did you sort of walk that balance as a as an athlete because with all of these and um mm. you've, you've mentioned on, on some of these there are aspects that are actually good in terms yes. of like you know you um we should take some pride in our work and we can mm. um uh we're gonna we're gonna get to idolatry soon but mm. i think you quoted tim keller as saying you know idolatry is when you make a good thing an ultimate thing yes when you simply bump it to the place of 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 honor or it becomes the 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 thing the central hub out of which the other spokes flow, or whatever metaphor you want to use for placing it higher than it ought to have been. Mm. And yet, yeah, there's a good to Absolutely. I imagine there was, it's good to take some pride in the fact that you were a, an elite runner. Yes. And it's that honestly was one of the biggest challenges. And it's also a huge challenge coming out of the sport as well. Um, uh, making a name for ourselves, kind of establishing... Um, work as part of our identity that is actually a good like there is there is goodness in that and you can't just pretend that <laughs> you're only a Christian and there's nothing else to you and I don't think that's actually God's intent for us either yeah and I can imagine there are some athletes who really struggle with that when they don't have Christian resources to draw on mm. as they transition out of sport right you just oh, imagine yes. trying to do that sense of loss of identity or particularly if it's ended calamitously you know if, if you've mm. had a a real disappointment in a in a career just brought to an abrupt halt. So, mm-hmm. Nathan, where have you seen this kind of play out? Mm. When I was reading uh, Liv's article, I I thought about the fact that in our culture there's a lot of discussion around legacy, yep. building things that will last. Yes, and often I think this can be connected to making a, a name for ourselves. And I yes. think one of the challenges for us as Christians is to go, if something is around in, say, 20, 30 years beyond when we were involved with it and it's flourishing and continuing, would we be okay about that if our own role in that was never spoken of or talked about? Yes. I think that's a real test around are we willing just for God to establish the work of our hands because it's a good thing and not needing our name to be to be attached mm. attached to it. Um, yes. And I think in a culture where legacy is talked about a lot, I think this is a this is a challenging thing for us to reflect on. I remember when I finished working at the Treasury and then worked as an economic consultant and then when I moved to study, I realised how 
much my identity in some ways had got wrapped up in being an economist mm-hmm. and really enjoying the fact that people would come to me and ask me questions and I get to to comment on my my thoughts on their questions and I'd I'd be affirmed really in the work that I was doing. And then yes. all of a sudden I found myself in a library in Vancouver. No one really thought um, that I had much to offer, probably because I didn't in that point <laughs> theologically. People weren't coming to me and asking my opinion on things. Yes. And I realised in that moment that maybe I had placed too much of my identity in my work. And I had to, before God, recognize actually that fundamentally I'm his child, that Christ loves me and the Holy Spirit indwells me. Yes. And I think that was a moment in which I had to reorder um, my identity as a worker. Yes, Yes. I am a worker, as Mm. live as a runner. But we are not just those things. Yes. We are other things. And at our core, we are um, creatures who are loved by God, um, who Christ has come to die for, and we are filled by his spirit. That's our primary identity from which these other things get built. Yes. And I think there can be moments in which we're brought face-to-face, often in transitions in our lives, yes. with the fact that we maybe have been trying to make a name for ourselves and our work and put too much of our identity in there and there needs to be that recalibration. Mm. But as Liv's saying, I totally agree with this, being a runner is part of Liv's identity. Being an economist is part of my identity. It's Mm. shaped who I am. Yes. But they can't be all defining for us. Um, And that's why this, I think, is such a helpful point for us all to, to ponder as Liv's reflected on on this story. Mm. Yeah, the, this lasting nature of the work is something that's really, really captured my imagination. We're, we're sitting here right now in CBA, Christian Broadcasting Association Studios, and it was in this very office where I had to wrestle with this, where uh, alongside uh, some of the staff here, I was um, involved in putting out a weekly uh, radio program. And I realised about six months into it that I was putting time and effort into something that literally went out on the airwaves and was never heard or spoken of again. Mm. And literally it filled some time and we might want to critique some aspects of the way media runs. But um, but but I felt God was asking me to do it, that the, the staff here had been called to fill these particular slots and we were doing that. But I had friends who were writing books and were doing other things that that, that had something tangible to them. They, they lasted, you know, mm. and I was doing something. You couldn't get more ephemeral than literally, whoosh, it's gone. You, you speak couldn't it out. point to a house that you built, for example. Couldn't point yeah. to anything tangible with it. And I was just like, oh, God, I have to really get used to the fact that there's no tower being built here. Mm. This will not out, this is not even outlasting the the time I spend in the studio. It's it's literally, it's out there and then it's gone. And, and just having to really just make my peace with that. Um, and there'll be many, many um, works that, you know, in some respects you get to enjoy some, some real excitement with that part of the job that as a parent I've seen some very hidden parts of doing work there and, and in other things too that, that just, there's, no, there's no lastingness for the nappies you changed mm. unless, mm. and that's the, the kind of the, the message of Leaf by Niggle, right, is that the, 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 the humble little 
contribution that Niggle makes lasts on mm. uh, because of Jesus. But again, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We'll get there. We'll so, <laughs> Liv, making a name for ourselves was, was number one. So mm-hmm. a name for ourselves. Number two was workers' idolatry. Mm. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, there's overlap here, right? We've already talked a little bit about how this can look and feel idolatrous. But expand on that a little bit for us. Yeah, I mean, this is just really the notion that um, your work can become the ultimate thing in your life. Um, uh, we talked about Tim Keller's quote, um, work is a good thing, just not the ultimate thing. Um, but there's also this this notion that C.S. Lewis picks up, actually, in a quote in his um, text on first and second things. Um, and he, he just talks about how if you if you place something that really should be second in your life and you place it in the first place, it actually under undercuts everything else. It actually undermines everything else. Right. So work was never designed to be the first thing in our lives. That's a place right. only reserved for God. Mm-hmm. Yes. And if when we try and place it in that in that place, we actually um it, it kind of turns ashy or it um it, it doesn't have the substance that it can actually hold that place for us. Um, so in the way C.S. Lewis puts it, he talks about, say, the woman who makes a dog the centre of her life loses in the end not only her human usefulness and dignity, but even the proper pleasure of dog keeping. The man who makes alcohol his chief good loses not only his job, but his palate and all power of enjoying the earlier and only pleasurable levels of, of intoxication. Of course, this law has been discovered before, but it will stand rediscovery. It may be stated as follows. Every preference of a small good to a great or partial good to a total good involves the loss of the small or partial good for which the sacrifice is made. So it's essentially this idea that when you put things in that are meant to be second in first place, mm-hmm. everything else kind of mm-hmm. gets lost along with it. Mm-hmm. So this point that we're trying to make it, it with workers' idolatry is like if we, if we make work the ultimate thing in our lives, then it's actually going to have some pretty... Um, pretty dissatisfying fruit in our lives. We actually will start to lose something and we'll start to um, become almost less human in the process of it. And that's something that the psalmist draws out as well. We talk about uh, when people worship idols, they become like them. They become mute and they can't move, they can't speak, they can't see. And I think that's something similar in our own lives. If we worship work as the ultimate good in our lives, then um, we become purely identified by it and then start to lose more and more of our humanity in the process. This is why the first commandment is so important. You shall have no other gods before me Mm. because unless the true and living God is at the center of our lives, we'll put some pseudo God, Mm. which as you're drawing out so beautifully, Liv, we will become like that thing. Mm. So if work becomes the center of our lives, if it becomes an idol, if it becomes other than the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I do subtle things like I start seeing my relationship with Bronwyn as work mm. Mm. because work is at the center of my life and mm. I'm a worker. And I start seeing my kids as work and even friendship becomes work. Mm. Mm. And I can't even enjoy being in my house mm. and enjoying the pleasures of that because it's a work, because everything gets bound up with that God. And I start speaking and I start thinking and I start acting along those lines. Mm. And only the true and living God can actually free us. Is this quote from 
Lewis so beautifully draws out the ability to enjoy things and to love things in their proper place. And again, I think what you did here in the article so captures this so well with with what the people at Babel do is they make work central. Mm. They make work their God. And um, as as you've said, Kelly captures it so nicely. It's about, idolatry is really about making a good thing the ultimate thing. Mm. I think there's a sense in which work as well can almost act as the um, the, the middleman for another idol. Um, mm. By what by that I mean, uh, if if our idol is actually what people think of us, mm. then work can be the vehicle through which we keep them happy. Um, you know, there are some idolatries that it may not be the work, we may not necessarily... Mm. The diagnosis might have to be quite subtle, mm-hmm. because it may not actually be. Oh, you know, if I was, well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not idolising my work. Oh, but you put the needle on that, letting people down. Oh, that's the thing I just cannot possibly do. Yes. That's the thing that's mm-hmm. the the be all and end all. That's the thing that's got up into ultimate place. Yes. Uh, or my reputation, or something where work becomes the vehicle to keep that idol fed. Yes. Mm. Which distorts work too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And mm. that, that, that way you've got almost a three-way distortion where relationality and, and everything mm. you know, starts to... And also salary, right? Like when you're captive to a salary or totally. a certain yeah. income <clears throat> expectation. So life, lifestyles become the idol. Yeah. Mm. And work is the way that I'm going to feed it. Mm. Yeah. And it's um, real danger for us. We're going to get to some of that in the third episode, actually. So I don't want to cannibalise too much of that now. But yeah, we're going to we're going to unpack some of that because those things and they can creep up on you. Mm. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. So number three, um, Liv, you actually used... uh, Babel to be something of a foreshadowing of what's going to happen in Egypt, mm. where there is oppression and injustice. Yeah, so one of the um, one of the things we learn on the Venn Fellowship and also just in um, Bible study as well is every time you hear words or echoes, um, things that sound familiar that you've heard before at other parts of Scripture, it's quite helpful to pay attention. And um, in this passage of Babel, they talk about, come, let us make bricks and let us and, and mortar and, and build, use that to build a city, um, build a tower, sorry, that reaches to the heavens. And of course, we then see that just a couple of chapters later or in Exodus when the people are in Egypt and they're enslaved and they're, and they're built using straw and they're making bricks to build the kingdoms of Egypt. Um, and so I wanted to draw out this idea that uh, in our work, we can be contributing to something that may not actually be good. Um, we might be gathering together in a type of unholy unity that we've seen at Babel and be working together 
to create injustice in the world. Mm. And it's really important that when we're in our workplaces um, to just look at the fruit of it. Like what is what is being created here? What am I mm. working towards? What is the ultimate goal here? Um, because sometimes we are actually contributing to a type of slavery. Sometimes we're contributing to um, oppression or mm. our work or our um, uh, the society that we're contributing to is um, a type of cultural hegemony, so mm. other cultures or other voices don't have a voice or mm. are voiceless. Mm. Um, so it's just this kind of idea that as we are um, reading about the Tower of Babel and as we're talking about what our work might look like in our lives, it's just really important to be considering um, the ways that our work might be contributing to this type of oppression. Mm. Mm. Yeah, perpetuating injustice and oppression. Yes. I think it highlights again the keystone nature of human beings in the created order, mm. that when we are doing things well, we create justice and peace yes. and joy. Come back to John Stackhouse's uh, idea of shalom, picking up on this biblical word, but developing it in particular ways theologically. Uh, rich relationships with God, with each other, with the created order. But when things are distorted because mm. of the fact that we're this keystone species, mm. our work can perpetuate systems of domination and mm. justice. I was struck as I was reading your piece, Liv, and you, you mentioned the word just now, slavery. Um, and it would be easy for us to just think of slavery in some very unidimensional ways mm. but if we think about slavery uh, more fully uh, I think you're right to ask the question of what ways are our our ways of working the institutions that we're setting up around work um, the organizations we're building the businesses we're creating are these are these perpetuating Slavery, are they mm. perpetuating domination, or are these institutions, are these patterns, are these ways of working uh, creating a world in which we're seeing the world flourish? Mm. Um, come back to John Stackhouse's language, that they're contributing to shalom. Um, and one of the one of the things I think we we find it challenging in this space is often we are part of. Um, systems, if I can put it that way, where we our influence is limited. We can't yes. change the system. Mm. Um, we don't have leadership or influence to that extent. And so we can feel overwhelmed um, mm. by these things. But I still think, and this is, this is what we're called to do as Christians, even within those systems, what can we do to bring more shalom? Mm. What can we do to bring more flourishing? What can we do to bring more joy, mm. recognizing that we may not be able to solve all of these systemic issues, but we still are called by God to do something here. And again, I think this reflection on Babel encourages us to think about, given our sphere of influence and responsibility, mm. how do we respond with our ability to the context in which we find ourselves? Mm. Yeah. There's a great way that Tom Wright always puts, you know, um, you know, God has put the world to what rights through Jesus, but we get to 
drag some of God's future into the present. Mm-hmm. And talking on this recently, I was talking about just even just fragments of shalom. I think yes. fragments is a nice word because it captures the, <laughs> at times, modest contribution we'll make, right? But what are the what are the fragments of shalom that we can drag into the present um, or that we can find, we can discover where God is at work? I was with Roshan All Press recently and he was talking about this very idea of bringing God's future into the presence and he said it's like imagine we're in a dark room and there's no sunlight coming through and he said our role as Christians is to punch holes in the wall so that the light of God breaks in Mm. Um, we may not be able to take down the whole wall Mm. only Christ can ultimately do that when he returns but under the power of the spirit following him we can certainly punch some holes in the wall so that God's kingdom God's life God's um, future breaks into the present. I think that's it. I found that a helpful image. Mm. Um, guys, we're almost out of time, believe it or not. That's how quickly uh, our time <laughs> goes. Um, Liv, I'm just going to get you just to maybe um, close with a few comments of, of things taking a, a turn for the positive, yeah. um, the way that you sort of finish the article up. And then, Nathan, I might just ask you about the role of others mm. uh, in this whole project as well uh, in a moment too. Mm. Um, we kind of decided to label this section God's gracious response because that is what happens to our scripture. God, in his grace and in his mercy, uh, recognizes the um, smallness and futility of man's efforts um, and actually uses this language that's quite funny and humorous in um in Genesis 11, it says that these people had been working to build a, a tower that would reach the heavens. In response, God comes down to actually see the tower. So he can't even see it from where he dwells. You know, it's, it's kind of like this tower and all their effort is just never actually going to attain the heights that they expect it to. Um, but he comes down and in his grace, he actually um, goes back to his his original creation mandate which is to go out and fill the earth and he scatters the people and he creates this diversity of language which is in and of itself a gift for the world um this kind of diversity of culture and diversity of language that then goes out and fills the four corners of the earth that was god's original intent for this creation project and so um that of course then is redeemed at pentecost which is what we refer to in the article as well but it's this this sign of God wants God desires holy unity. He got God desires a type of unity in creation and in humanity. He wants us to worship him as one corporate body. Mm. But he also wants us to be scattered and he wants us to fill the earth. And so that's what actually happens at the end of the story of Babel. And so we can see that God sees this um, the desire of man and he sees the desire to kind of work and create something and he he basically makes that available for us so cities in and of itself aren't a bad thing he's like no just go out and make more cities and fill the earth Um, diversity of language isn't a bad thing just Mm. go out and fill the earth with your diverse languages Mm. yeah Nathan you were making a comment um, again as we were having a a chat before this uh, recording just about the importance of others Mm. in this whole yeah. kind of project. Yeah, I think as we live in a world in which we experience uh, injustice and oppression, in which work can become idolatry at times, um, a, a world in which we are tempted to make a, a name for ourselves, one of the things I think God does is he gives us others. 
Mm-hmm. And um, we experience others alongside us in different ways that one can bring correction to some of those impulses in our lives, but some of the other effects associated with the fall, um, discouragement, toil, frustration, etc., etc., can help us. And mm-hmm. um, a passage I, I just wanted to draw out was from Ecclesiastes 4. Mm-hmm. This passage is often read at weddings, but the original context here is work. Uh, the teacher is talking about the meaninglessness of work, the frustration of work, the toil of work. And he and he says this, I love these words, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If they fall down, they can help each other up. But pity those who fall who have no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, Two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Wow! Mm. And I love that because we are in a we are in a time in which we need to acknowledge the goodness of work, but also the brokenness of work. And I yeah. think one of the mercies of God in this time before Jesus comes and He redeems all things uh, at the end, before we enter into the the next stage, He gives us each other. And I, I can look back on my own life, I think, particularly when I was a public servant, that God placed people in my life, some of whom were not Christians, yeah. but who came alongside me. And when I was frustrated or when I was struggling with discouragement, yeah. they were there to help me. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it is worth just noting that this is one of the ways providentially that God uh, in his mercy, helps us to continue to to labor uh, is because of the fact that we have each other. Mm. Um, and I think yeah. we've we experienced something of that at Venn, and it's one of the yeah. it's one yes. of the reasons I love this team. Um, and I know talking with friends and people who have participated in our programs that there are there are. Th- their reality at times is God has drawn others alongside them to help them yes. to continue to to do this work that yeah. God has called them to. Guys, we've been trying to uh, come in and go out on uh, music, and it's not always easy, particularly for positive stuff. And uh, we came in on Iggy Azalea's uh, song, the only verse and chorus I could actually put in that doesn't have uh, expletives through it, actually, so you have been warned. But it took three jobs to save. People got a lot to say, but don't know a thing about how I was made, how many floors I had to scrub just to make it past where I'm from. No money, no family, 16 in the middle of Miami. Common, common themes mm-hmm. are the sorts of things we've been talking about. Um, either not so much the idolatries of work, but certainly the frustrations of it, the futility of it at times. Uh, but I have come across something a lot more positive, and we're going to go out on this. In June of 2017, a group of 60 Christian creatives gathered in New York City to discuss and reflect on the intersection of worship and vocation. Uh, turned into the Porter's Gate Worship Project, and they ended up putting out an album uh, later that year, 2017, called Work Songs. And so um, I've picked one for us to go out on, Nathan, because basically it echoes something that you had as part of a practice for us to focus on on that last edition of Common Ground, and we mentioned this uh, right at the beginning, where you got people to reflect on some verses out of Psalm 90. Mm -hmm. And so they are going to essentially be singing uh, those same verses uh, over us, uh, of us 
uh, numbering our days um, of God establishing the work of our hands. In fact, that's the, the name of the song is called Establish the Work of Our Hands. Mm-hmm. But what I might get you to do as we uh, hear that music come up under us and then we uh, go out is actually pray the closing prayer that you mm-hmm. had as part of that reflection mm-hmm. uh, from the common book of prayer. I think it kind of nicely captures something mm-hmm. of what we've been trying to aim through the fall towards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let us pray. Go before us, O Lord, in all our work with your most gracious favour, and further us with your continual help, that in all our work, begun, continued, and ended anew, we may glorify your holy name, and finally by your mercy obtain everlasting life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 Teach us to number the length of our days. Pour out your power. We'll pour out your praise. Teach us to. You've been listening to Venn Presents, a podcast from Venn Foundation. Our aim at Venn is to help people embrace the depths and richness of the Christian tradition for the good of their homes, universities, workplaces, churches and communities in Aotearoa, New Zealand. We do this work through a variety of programs, events and resources, including Venn Presents and our monthly digital publication Common Ground. If you're interested in Venn's work or want to find further podcast episodes, works of art or articles, including the latest edition of Common Ground, go to ven.org.nz forward slash resources. That's V-E-N-N dot org dot nz forward slash resources. Also, if you've enjoyed the show, please give us a review on your podcast platform of choice. We really appreciate all the feedback we can get. Until next time. <laughs>